Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. People are so annoyed today and I understand the frustration. I feel really sorry for Wild Youth and I thought the song was quite good. But like, can we not just enjoy participating and going to the competition? No, no? absolutely oh, not. Right, okay. Uh, Hello, you're very welcome along to this week's episode of the Group Chat Podcast. I'm news correspondent, joined in studio by my fellow news correspondent, Richard Chambers. Hello. And political correspondent, Gavin Riley. How are you? I feel like you're both itching, itching <laughs> for a debate. I want to I, warn... I, I to make coronation puns about your surname, but uh, oh. park that for a bit. I'm ah, that's last, that's last, last week's last We missed, we kind of missed the vote on that. We never even talked about that last week, actually. Uh, yeah. Happened. Did you watch the coronation? I did. Yes, it, so did was, I. it was a interesting pageant. Yes. No more than that. The costumes literally look like their fancy dress now, which is quite funny. Someone made a very good point that like it's very difficult to tell what is an actual royal portrait yeah. now, because there's been so many just people posing around wearing crowns and stuff in so many recent years that like, oh, that's the actual King of Queen now. Like, mm. Did you watch it? I did because I had to watch it for work. Oh, yeah, so I was sort of getting yeah, the, yeah. sort of the, the Irishy sort of Anglo things and uh, I, I think I noted during it that yeah, Penny Morden's that yeah. we talked about when she was running for... I was um, wrecked for yeah. Penny Morden told in that she sword. She was holding a big old sword mm. yeah. up in front of her like that for 90 plus minutes. Mm. Did she have a thing around her neck though? Did you yeah, see that? Doesn't yeah, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The okay. core strength... I didn't notice that. Yeah, there's a little bit of a, yeah, of, of a pommel to put it into. Okay. Painful right. looking but The thing about it is, is that I knew from the second that happened, the Daily Express and the Daily Mail will be out and saying this is our next Prime Minister. And lo and behold, for the last week, it's non-stop. She has boosted <laughs> wow. her Prime Minister credentials. Phenomenal. But she held a sword as if she's going to do this at the UN or something and try and spook Joe Biden and chase him around the room. She will see down Maybe she will. armor with her sword. Listen. Any other first. coronation observations that you noted? Uh, any sort of, uh, people are obsessed with the body language between Harry and the family or any of that you didn't get into? Uh, that. Not, not huge into that. No. Um, as the parent of small children, I thought George and Charlotte were impeccably behaved and that oh, they were so cute. very artfully got Louis yeah. in and out of the place when he wasn't up for Yeah, it. he was in so and out a few times. Yeah. <laughs> Charlotte is my favourite royal. My favourite royal. She's so cute. Um, so yeah, no, it was an interesting weekend. Listen, I always think it's good. It's good viewing. You know what I mean? I think it's, it's so different to us and the mm. pomp and ceremony of it is it's fascinating. It's so anyway, that we get to choose our leaders and that we don't lock people up for expressing <laughs> even the mildest amount of dissent on the side of the street. Absolutely. And that is a whole other conversation that we yeah. will have another time. Um, okay, closer to home, the big conversation this week. And I know both of you, because I've been listening to the two of you back and forth for a couple of days, so I want to warn our dear listeners, this is going to become heated. Uh, you're going to find <laughs> yourself on either side of the fence. It's a melee. It's I a, am a neutral. I'm a neutral observer in this debate, in this conversation. I ask you both to be kind to one another as we embark uh, on this big discussion. Where's the fun? About, <laughs> about GAA kind. Go. No, so, no, you want hard-hitting shoulders in this conversation. Uh, well, you, you can let every blow, you know... Let be, every bit of film for you yeah, pull as, hard and with no relation. As Pat Torres said, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, GAA Go, uh, my understanding of it, as I say, as a sort of a neutral observer, is that all the good matches are behind a paywall now. Is that right? Correct. 
Okay. So far, so far, I will I will see the point that there will be a breakdown. You'll see things like finals, semifinals, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, important hurling games will actually end up on GA Go. But so far, that's been one of the bones of contention. I think there's a few different mm. points on it, yeah. Okay, but that's the crux of it, really. That was, that was the starting point, I would yeah. say, for it all, was the fact that the Munster Hurling Championship, which is for the GAA, that is, the, that is your big draw in the early summer. Mm. It's the only thing that's competitive generally speaking, mm-hmm. and it's the only one that serves up classic encounters and all of that up until this point, bar Cork and Waterford uh, was uh, sitting behind the paywall at 12 years of pop. A paywall that you have paid for, Gavin. Yes. Uh, I Now, I say this as a hands up sort of thing that I saw this coming and I already had a GA Go account from previous times that I was abroad or stuff anyway or whatever. So sorry, um, just to be clear, GA Go so is not G- brand new. It's GA Go is no, it's not brand new. It is brand new as regards being how in Ireland you are supposed to watch some championship games where previously, and this is a major point of contention, that previously Sky were also a broadcast partner alongside RTE. Sky aren't there now and GA Go has moved into the, mm-hmm. the vacancy. Um, at the start of the season, yeah, last November, or October or December whenever they announced that they were doing it they said oh if you subscribe now you get a full season pass on GA Go for 59 euro I thought that was good I had the cash at the time said great that's good and as a service I think it's been quite good I get that people are a little disappointed that some of the games that have turned out to be better have been on GA Go and are not on free to air television but I think that that's hindsight being twenty twenty because you weren't to know at the time they were put there that Cork and Waterford would be a free-to-air television and wouldn't be a great game, but that Clare versus Limerick would be on paper uh, pay-per-view, and that it was going to turn out to be brilliant. Just want to make Claire, the point. Richard. Just want to make the point that that Limerick hurling team is probably the best hurling team of all time. It was fairly obvious there was going to be a great game there, especially because it was a must-win game it for Clare. Wasn't a great. It wasn't guaranteed at all that it was a great game because the previous week Tipperary versus Clare had been on. It was a really good game. It was a goal fest, but it was never it was a really good game. It was never competitive. Oh yeah, it was a really good game though. It was a good spectacle. And then of course they had Tipperary and Cork as well. Mm. And I think I think the, the point about it is, okay, so the hurling thing was the first thing which obviously people would have seen the viral clip of Donal Cusack on the Sunday game talking about this and that hurling was being buried and all that sort of mm. stuff. And I think that hurling people, as I hate how they're described because it feels very cartoonish and a little bit patronising. Uh, and some of the arguments can be a little bit overblown on it. But the point was made basically that you're meant to be promoting this sport mm. and you're hiding some of the most spectacular, the most artistic expressions of Gaelic games behind a paywall. And we can talk about the the actual paywall and the accessibility elements, which are actually the most important things for me, I'd say, um, later on. But that's not not brilliant. If if the whole purpose of the GAA is to basically to nurture, to to Mm. promote... Gaelic games and people in hurling circles would say the GA has neglected hurling in recent times. So one of the things that I would say again sort of on the outside looking in is with, particularly with the GAA people are so involved in their community and yep. there's so much fundraising that goes on there's so much volunteering that goes on that those who love these games should surely be allowed to watch them and have access to them. I mean has there been any sort of scope or conversation around even offering a discount code or offering some sort of reduced price access yeah, GAA, for people who are big fans? GA members actually can get so the season pass now on GA Go having not bought it early is 79 euro and apparently there's a I think a 10 or a 15% discount at the checkout if you can prove that you are a GA member. So yeah, is, I don't think that's enough. Though, no, well, there you? is some level of discount and you can certainly argue that there's an inconvenience in having to possibly, and this happens on the spur of the moment if people don't realise that the game they want to watch isn't on free-to-air television, they find themselves in a fluster having to download the app and then sort and out then their user the account. missing the start of the game. Missing the start okay. and poss- possibly having to pay more than €12 because if you buy it through mm. the app store, 
sometimes Apple takes a cut as well. So instead oh, of it being right. 20, yeah, get that extra right, bump. Right. Yeah, okay. some people said they were paying 17 quid to watch Cork versus Tip last weekend. That, and that's that's not rubbish because that's effectively what you'd be paying to go into the standard park equation. Yeah, what is it, 25 for a ticket? It was 20 quid for a terrorist ticket, I yeah. think. And you ended up paying 17 quid that's potentially to watch it through the that's app. And that, that's, that's, that not, that's not okay. Yeah. But I think a lot of the, where Richard and I dissent is that... Um, <laughs> I'm just taking the biggest swig of coffee of all time. I need my energy for this. Yeah. Richard, where Richard and I have a departure is that I think... I think that there's a certain amount of hindsight being 2020 in that after the fact, people go, this game was great. <laughs> Isn't it a shame it didn't have the biggest possible audience? And that's always true. But I, I think, first of all, some of the games that have been put on free-to-air, people are saying, oh, you know, Hurling is missing out here. Well, two weekends ago, yes, Claire and Limerick wasn't on free-to-air. Mm. It was originally, in fact, going to be. And then the Great Limerick Run ended up being organised for the same day as the Hurling was supposed to be on. Hurling got moved, RTE chose not to follow it, and it ended up on pay-per-view, not, not necessarily his first choice. Turned out to be a classic. Cork and, Tipper, Cork and Waterford was on the following day. Wasn't a classic. Them's the breaks. Galway versus Kilkenny, by the way, was also on free-to-air television on the Sunday and was a good game. But no one is putting that up as being this kind of jewel in the crown or nobody is like tooting their horn mm. about how great a fixture that was. Now, that did showcase hurling on free-to-air television, but no one's talking about it. And then for the weekend just gone, yes, Cork and Tip, you know, decent old game, full house. Oh, it was a very good game. Really worth showcasing. Would have been would have been a great advertisement. But it's the same weekend as two of the provincial football finals. Here we go. So... Are you saying that the provincial football finals should have been dropped <coughs> to make space for a hurling match after which nobody is eliminated? Yeah. I, I don't know if there's a case for I, that. I, well, okay. So both of these games were on were, were on RT television. Uh, and again, I was in work during this day. So we were watching both games yeah. in here in the this office that was going on. Goal versus Sligo in Castlebar. Empty, empty Castlebar. And then in the Gaelic grounds, uh, Kerry versus Clare in the football. And both mm. of them were absolutely the most snore-fest football matches that you will ever see. And they were on TV. And they were on uh, free terror television. Okay. Now, I get the point that Declan McBennett of RTE Sports was making to me yesterday saying, well, look, we have an agreement with RTE or with GAA in that we sign up for a package and that includes mm. all the provincial finals. Mm. And like, it will be something... They they would get stick, I'd say, if yeah. they decided we're not showing the well, like, we're not showing the Connacht like, final. It doesn't matter that nobody cared about. They've it. got thirty-one games, and if yeah. you take out the All Ireland well, finals, people from Connacht care about it. Surely, but this is it. Like, I mean, why didn't they turn up? Paul, Paul Quinn and Guzman, his brother was playing on the Sligo team. He wants to be able to see them free to wear sure. television. That's totally okay. People were so, leaving early. The uh, the All Ireland finals, semi finals, okay. provincial finals, and uh, quarter finals in both codes. That's eighteen games, and when you take all of that off RT's allocation of thirty-one, that leaves them with thirteen games left to show the provincial hurling championships, the provincial football championships, and the new round robin football competition that's coming later in the year as well. Yeah. So by ring fencing the games in which there's something on the line, RT are not left with very much else. So then, do you think that they should have dropped a Can I ask you something though? Yeah, go for it. Right, I'm just thinking of Granddad Joe, who's a exactly. viewer of the group chat. Uh, Granddad, hello. I know you love watching the programmes. Big fan of both of you. Um, Granddad's 90. Um, he's a really vibrant 90, by the way. My granddad's acrobics two mornings a week. Really vibrant, is doing a digital literacy course, learning how to mm. use his iPad. Um, so he is, a, a, you know, a savvy 90-year-old person, but uh, he wouldn't actually know how to download GA Go and he wouldn't mind me yeah. telling you that. Mm. He wouldn't know how to insert card details or any of that kind of so if he does have Sky and he has whatever, you know, but he doesn't have the capacity and he would be very honest about that to download these yeah. apps, mm. you know. This is the point. This is the most important point for me is that first of all, it needs to be specified. GA Go is co-owned by the GA and by RTE, mm. which of course... Which is a problematic aspect of it. Yes, certainly is. Mm. Especially when you're charging as RTE through GA Go is mm. for access to these games. They aren't putting rugby behind a paywall. They're not putting mm. soccer behind a paywall. 
right? Um, the accessibility element, I think, is the biggest thing. And it isn't just from Age Action Course where out during, during the week and they were mm. saying that this is very difficult. It's a difficult, invisible barrier. They described it for older people who want mm. to watch it. People who have been involved in the GAA all the way through their lives who can't perhaps go to games now anymore yeah. in stadiums, getting up steps, all that sort of crack. For them to be um, excluded effectively by virtue of this is something you have to use your phone for or your laptop yeah. for and then to try and cast it onto the screen. I find that kind of annoying in the first place. But, sorry, the other point is, and it's important we do to get this out, it's a bit cart before the horse in terms of actually how people access um, live sport in this country because it is purely through your phone or through your laptop. It is not an app. It is not a TV channel that people can casually pass by. Like you won't get a passing trade as RTE would admit they do for the Munster Hurling Championship. They would traditionally get about 250, 300,000 mm. building up to about 600,000 for the Munster Final in terms of hurling, right? How many people do you think reckon, or do, do you think we watched those games, those classic games on GA Go I would, I would, I would, I would, I would put myself out there saying a fraction of that. Do we get viewership numbers? No, for that? We, no, we, we don't. Another problem. Not we, another really problem. Yeah. No. Why uh, is that? Well, because it, it, commercially it's, sensitive, it's commercially apparently. sensitive, uh, and this this is part of what's so problematic about GA Go because is it well, not in the public interest well, to know it, well, how many people are watching well, this Gaelic is, games? When, when it is a joint venture between RT and the GA, and th- this is what's so problematic about this as a solution. Um, and I say this as someone who has happily paid his money to get the, the annual subscription for it. RTE and the GAA are both, um, they're, they're on either end of a transaction when it comes to RTE's games. Mm-hmm. And then they're collaborators when it comes to creating something which is either a complementary or a rival service to RTE's free-to-air stuff. And, and that's not clear because that you've, you've got, for example, and I don't mean to single them out, but RTE's head of sport is also on the board of directors yeah. of GAA Go, mm-hmm. which then leads itself to there being a somewhat sustainable arguments that there's a conflict of interest in that sometimes you could you could allege that some of the good games are being deliberately put on a paywall so that they can maximise their income. And I think that we're not really clear about... Which, is, game, a, which is the sensible business I'm model. I'm not really clear about how the games are chosen and that, that in itself is a kind of a, a mm. very muddy area. But as regards, I, I take fully fully agree that there's yeah. an accessibility issue where if you're not tech savvy or if you don't have a good broadband or mobile connection that you're kind of flummoxed. But what's the alternative? Put them and, back and on the telly. Put, put, put them put on them a TV channel. The that should have been. Put, put all of them on, on free-to-air television. No, you don't need to. You don't, I actually, I actually, this is where I actually have a bit of, of fluency on it because I think people complain about the Sky deal. People say that people nobody complained about Sky deal. Everybody complained well, they, about Sky deal. Did. There was years did. of debate did. about Sky. Mm. And this was um, supposed to be the alternative. Well, a very hastily arranged alternative by, the, by, 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 by some reporting on it. But I just want to bring you, because I put up a poll there yesterday uh, to see where our viewers are on it. Should GAA games be on a paid streaming-only service? We had about 4,000 votes, mm-hmm. 97% no, 3% yes. So if you want all of those games, well, first of all, there's a question, do you want every game to be televised? We well, can't do that. You, so, prob- so you probably can. can't so, do that. Was that done, sorry, can I ask you, was that done before back in the 90s? Like what was happening? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No. No. In fact, there was a so was there just some games that just didn't make the air? Big yeah, games no, the big games went on telly. Yeah, the big games. There was a lot of science so then work, which is exactly the solution people model, And then just the ones that aren't big, put them on Diego. Which is precisely what the current model is intending to do. Oh. And if you've got a busy weekend... No, 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 no. No, no you it can't possibly... The first every, round of the All-Ireland Football Series, every right? Every knockout hurling match yeah. is still on free-to-air television. Yeah, but that would be an absolute scandal if it wasn't. But if you actually look at the All-Ireland Series in football, which is happening now in two weeks' time, mm. right? Perhaps the two biggest games of football all season up until semi-finals and final are happening yeah. next weekend in terms of Kerry against Mayo, mm. Galway against Tyrone. And they're on the paywall. All of them are the yeah. ones... It's like... 
Ah, uh, so we, we, we got we got we got the we got the money's worth out of the hurling. So now it, that's shakedown so football, hurl, which which proves then that it's not hurling evangelism. No, that's I why I'd say there's yeah. a certain there's a certain amount I think, and I, I say this as somebody whose grandfather was involved in founding a hurling club and whose father has been on the Meath hurling mm-hmm. county board and is currently involved with the Meath senior hurling squad. There is monster hurling snobbery at play in the middle of this because nobody is complaining. Well, I'm sorry, as a monster person, nobody I'm is complaining to, I'm gonna that have Kilkenny to versus Galway was put on free to wear because not the same. it was. But like people even people, even in people, isn't. even people in Galway and Kilkenny would say that there's a little bit of a difference between a, a competition, i.e., Leinster well, hurling championship, that people didn't want Galway in. That, that's monster hurling snobbery. But like, it doesn't, never mind because the Leinster football semi-finals were both also on GAA Go, and they were great showcases of Gaelic football. But don't, don't, never mind. D- Dublin were nearly beaten by Kildare. That would have been as much a story as Limerick coming unstuck to Clare. Was that on Diego? It was on Diego. And, it was and nobody turned up and for the match absolutely either. warranted being put on free to wear if there was space to do it. But there isn't space but for this everything. is the biggest problem. Okay, something we're nearly has, out of time. We're nearly out of time, right? to fall off the shelf and occasionally that's going to be Munster hurling. I just think, I just think that the, so the, be it. the biggest so thing about this. Final words then, what's your final thought? The biggest point, this, the GAA is an association which promotes itself as being community driven, volunteer driven. Why is it shaking down people of 12 euros a pop for a stream of a game? Uh, some of those games for 12 euros, you'll get single camera footage with no panel, no discussion. Um, I just find it really, really grim uh, that there is no clarity over the selection of games, that there is no flexibility over the selection of games, mm-hmm. when there should be cl- uh, clarity over it. Because the RT, RTE and the GA both have equal pull of the levers on GA Go. For them to not put Kerry and Mayo next uh, weekend after next on free terror television is a disgrace, really, to be honest. Okay, so final question to you, Gavin. Is the GA relying on the money from GA Go to survive? No. Games Sorry, survive? actually, facts. It's facts okay. and money. So we're nearly out of time now, but we need to, on it to no survive. Way. Okay. But I think sometimes the GAA gets unfairly viewed vis-a-vis other sporting organisations that it's somehow this, you know, people call it the grab-all association. The money that the GAA raises, four-fifths of it goes back into the promotion of the games. Okay. Like when you're paying your 12 euro, nine euro 60 out of that ends up being a grant to some county board or some club somewhere and the money goes back. It's not like it's buying some ivory back scratcher for the Director General of the GAA in the sixth floor in Croke Park. It goes back to the games and the money that a GAA fan pays sustains the games going forward. Interest transparency, 1.1 million euro dividend split between RT and GAA on the back of for healthy the, profits for, for Diego. The year of 20, 2021 before, pandemic year, before this Before system. all of this. Mm. Okay. So I think both these organisations... It's not about money. Well, they both need to, in fairness, I, I do accept they both need to raise revenue, but I just feel like they've gone about it the wrong way and uh, volunteers who can't go to games anymore is the wrong way to do it. So as we are recording on this uh, Wednesday afternoon, supermarket bosses have been uh, brought in to answer questions by the government about price gouging, about the high expense and uh, why I suppose look uh, consumers are seem to be footing the bill for the rising cost of living. Obviously, supermarket bosses will tell you, and we've seen uh, in many of our own reports here over the last couple of months, the high cost of operating and running your supermarket. But it is the price of groceries, the price of personal toiletries, all of the above that has been astronomic for astronomical for people in recent Actually, I'm, I'm glad you said months. the price of toiletries actually mm. because there's been a lot of focus on how the price of food has gone up more than the re- overall rate of inflation and that, that's of course hugely important because if you're a family on a low income the percentage of your income that goes on food is far higher and then you get stung more proportionally mm. than anyone else does but actually personal hygiene products have gone up madly Outrageous. in the last 12 months where like, far, like if, if you want to have any level of personal hygiene at all even buying a can of deodorant in, in a supermarket which used to be maybe what, like four four or five euro, the same thing that was four or mm. five euro 12 months ago is eight or nine euro now. Oh, so I put a question box up and we'll get into the details of that in a second, but just one of the points from a girl called Hazel Message say 9.90 for a bottle of deodorant, everything is going up. Yeah. 9.90 for a yeah. bottle of deodorant. 
Yeah. And, and there's, there's been reports of people as well who've been even cutting back on showers because of the price of an electric shower as well. So if you're cutting back on the length or how often you have a shower and also you don't feel like you can afford to use a deodorant with luxury, like that's a pretty grim state of affairs, it's, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And I think what you're going to see um, coming out of this, and it is interesting to sort of see the government sort of say, oh, well, we can't do price caps or whatever, and cautioning against that. Mm. Um like it is, it's going to wear thin on people because they've heard this now from their utility providers as in mm-hmm. your gas, your electricity, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. that, oh, well, infl- inflation might be dropping, but we're priced in and we can't do anything about that for a while. And now you're hearing that as well from supermarkets who are all like, well, look, you know, it, you know we're, we're doing well compar- comparatively to other countries in Europe. I'll take some time. Maybe by the end of the year, we might get around to dropping prices. Mm-hmm. Like, in fairness, the, the, the food inflation is currently around 16%, mm. which is way higher than normal inflation mm-hmm. than your overall average cost of cost living. Mm. Um, but like, it's interesting to see the sort of the piecemeal approach from supermarkets. This is why people have a concern about things like cartel-like behaviours mm. or price fixing when you see the mall do that, let's do a 10 cent drop yeah. on sliced pan or let's or do a 40 cent drop or, on butter. Yeah. Milk or what? Yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting to see that. So they're all very, they are all very flexible when it's, comes to competitiveness with mm. each other but that flexibility doesn't seem to be anywhere seen. When it comes directly I want to get your reaction to some of the stuff that came in in the question box right so Circa says a jar of instant coffee for 11 euro How big is the jar? I know but like 11 euro for instant coffee feels But like, sure that could be okay, well, look, 2 okay, kilograms I'm assuming I'm going to give Circa <laughs> the benefit of the doubt kilograms. and say it's probably well, actually, a standard yeah. size like I mean what like this kind of size yeah. or whatever um, Someone else says uh, Brand Flakes in one of the discount retailers was uh, 39 cent pre-COVID and is now 149. God, wow. That's a huge increase there. Just in relation to a family weekly shop, uh, Lorna says family of four was 120 euro a week, now 170 and that's with less stuff because I've had to cut certain stuff out. Um, another person family of four uh, this is Emer. she says plant-based diet so we don't buy meat etc it's over 200 euro a week and that's before we include the extras I presume the extras are probably maybe like the luxuries and treats and things like that mm-hmm. um, I used to get four bags of shopping for 75 euro I now get two bags for that amount um, a bigger increase in my shopping bill and I'm just one person says Anne huge increase not only uh, pence lots have gone up by euros big leap it's ridiculous um, Sinead says a bottle of uh, this is fabric softener in one particular retailer is 12 euro and they sell at half price for 6 euro it's always 6 euro in one of the other supermarkets so look, yeah. it was just we are talking about the competition I don't want to name the supermarkets because I don't want to get into that back and forth on the supermarkets but I would say like I noticed myself even like I would stop in the shop most evenings on the way home because I I suppose you know I, I think probably I'm not great at planning for the week sometimes or you know I think some households are better and I think you can definitely get value like well even now I think it's difficult to get value but you if you plan a bit more in mm-hmm. advance right I do find that I'm sort of like driving home in the evening wondering what I'm going to have for dinner so I'm I am probably you know cursing myself in terms of stopping most evenings but you rarely get out of the supermarket without spending 30 euro most evenings I mean yeah. it just seems to be kind of standard now that that's what it costs you to pop into the shop one thing that crosses my mind actually when you mentioned that the the jar of instant coffee might possibly be 11 euro and actually somebody there was a, a tweet that went semi-viral a few weeks ago actually about the cost of deodorant that we just mentioned mm. there's one major supermarket which people People will probably easily identify, but there's no need for us to name that has a customer loyalty program where you are able to get lower prices if you are a member of that scheme. And often what a lot of people will find is that the cost that you used to pay 
is a cost that the supermarket is still happy to sell you the product for yeah. as long as you're a member of that customer loyalty program. You and hand over all that data. And that, as long as you hand over your data and as long as they can see and, and get full like analytics of your, your weekly shop or whatever it is. And that is something which hasn't been mentioned much in the course of any public debate and will be nice to hear the government point the finger at because mm-hmm. if that major supermarket can still sell you the deodorant for five or six euro instead of nine, as long as you're prepared to hand over Harv, like, your, your, your data. data yeah. it, it's something that's, well, if they're able to do it for them, mm-hmm. why can't they do it for anyone Now, I signed well? up for that loyalty program last week and I've already seen a massive difference well, in my go. shopping yeah. though. So if they could afford to do it, like is, yeah. is your data literally worth that much money to that supermarket that Every they can prepare to cut it that much? little helps. Well, it does. Hmm. But like, I mean, the, the, oh. one of the key questions about it, and I've seen a couple of commentators who have, you know, very much across the consumer affairs sort of bracket for the last number of years, like the question that they have is around the profits that these supermarkets and they are big ones and they are, a lot of them are linked to UK parent companies and all that sort of stuff, how much they're actually deriving. And it is actually very hard to get an actual full picture about what their profitability is like in Ireland. But we can presume based on what the tally is in terms of their UK operations, it's pretty significant, which again, it just goes again, it, it, it again, it, it, it corresponds quite closely with what happens with your energy, your electricity, your gas suppliers as well, yeah. is that they're going to come under increasing pressure from the public. If they are mm. seen to be deriving big profits out of this, well, at the time when they're, you know, again, you're having people saying mm. cutting back on what they're having, cutting yeah. back on showers, as you're saying, Gavin, it's very, very hard to square all of this at a time when everything else seems to be, if not continuing to go up, mm. not coming down whatsoever. I remember you doing a piece a couple of weeks ago about how energy bills weren't coming down at the same rate that they were going up. And, mm. and you were given what on the face of it seems a fairly rational explanation of hedging. Mm. I mean, you might explain what that is, but that there wasn't any hedging when the wholesale price was going up. Suddenly that was passed directly to the consumer and, and it's not being now when it's going the other direction. It is, mm. yeah. And I, like, I mean, to defend, well, no, I'm not going to defend, but uh, to give the, the, the explanation offered by the energy providers or their umbrella groups is like, well, look, we didn't have to, it was a different arrangement. We're all very secretive about our hedging arrangements because, you know, that's, that's we're all competitive with each other. It's basically hedging is the idea that you buy your energy or your supply of whatever it is uh, ahead of time to prevent any price shocks. So, for example, if Russia invades Ukraine, the price of oil and gas is going to go up by a lot. Mm. So you hedge, but you buy preemptive, preemptively, you know, at a higher price than it was, but to try yeah. and insulate you from the fact that it might go up by you know, another 300, 400% potentially. Mm. And then because they've bought in at this rate and it is a higher rate, that's passed on to the consumers. But because you have bought so far ahead of time, mm. their excuse is that we can't give this we can't afford back to, give to you because we've actually price. paid so, more than so it's actually So it gives worked. them some sense of price stability in that an energy company now is, is giving you energy that it actually bought a couple of months ago and they would say that was at a higher rate. But when it was going up, if the wholesale price goes up, they pass it on to you basically straight away. And when the wholesale price goes down, they don't do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, look. The, it's just another issue of lack of transparency, really, on, yeah. on on behalf of all these things. And commercially sensitive is going to be the excuse given again. What is fascinating, actually, at the time that we're recording this, is that only a couple of hours ago, the government has, f- for the first time, I think, made clear its stance on price caps. Now, the law allows the government to set a price cap for for consumer products like bread, milk, toothpaste, deodorant, if they want to, uh, as well as the the price of a unit of energy. That is a price or a power that the government actually has. Mm. The government today has said that they've been given advice from the CCPC. That's the Consumer Protection Watchdog. It's not one of the GAA organising committees, although it does kind of sound like one of them. And that committee has said, or the the watchdog has said, that actually price caps would be a bad idea because they would end up with the consumer having less choice. And that there is the prospect that if you put a price cap on milk, 
or butter or toothpaste that you might only end up with supermarkets trying to add more uh, to the price of mm. uh, shampoo or, or shower gel or deodorant, that it ends up being this kind of whack-a-mole thing where they mm. try to make back their money in other ways. So it ends up being counterproductive, which is an argument. But if they rule that out, what else do they have up their sleeve? Not a huge amount. They've got nothing. Because, I mean, you can you can have the retail form, which is obviously meeting today, and they're saying, oh, well, you supermarkets, you're going to have six weeks now to drop your prices. But they have nothing to actually... Mm. Encourage we them have to or remember as well. Encourage them to do that. Yeah. Supermarkets did really well during lockdown and during the pandemic because they were one of the few places that got to remain open. So mm. they were thriving businesses. I mean, owning a supermarket really was um, was quite lucrative actually because it was the one place that didn't have to close down. And you know, people were flocking there. It was almost your social outing. You remember, you know, I remember going to Tesco. It's a social outing almost because <laughs> you know what else were we going to do during mm. lockdown? So you know, they've had they had a good run of it before this cost of living crisis kicked in as well. And I think people forget that sometimes times as well that supermarkets definitely had a good run just in relation to some of the discount the discount supermarkets as well where people you know who maybe have big families or you know had small budgets were going to rely on good value you're now seeing people in some of the responses we're getting struggling to sort of make ends meet even going to the discount um, supermarkets now and finding that you know we always knew that people were making sacrifices we, we did this podcast for over a year now this time last year we talked about people sort of cutting back on uh, luxuries we talked about people maybe um, you know sort of cancelling appointments for you you know, maybe nail appointments and treatments mm. and things that were, you know, considered luxury items. But like when you look at like really basic things, like one of the messages here is in relation to one of the discount supermarkets in terms of toilet paper, something that people have to buy every week and saying that toilet paper used to be two seventy nine and has now gone up to four seventeen, And it's just that kind of increase on those really basic items are where people are really being caught. And there has to be some kind of conversation around those basics and how do you you know there are certain things that will go into the trolley that aren't considered necessity but they are core basics mm. I don't know what the solution is to that because if they're ruling out price caps then then if it is like even if you think about it out loud so that meeting is happening right now and two hours before the meeting happened ministers break cover and go we've been told not to use price caps so the one stick that they had yeah. before they sit down with the retailers mm. they've already said they're not going to use or that they're really reluctant to use it so what else do you do then? Do you hope that we get more press releases from supermarkets announcing that they're cutting 10 cents off the loaf of bread? Because if, if, you, if you're not prepared to use the one legal lever that they have, then you're, you're, you are just pretty much kneeling in front of them saying, pretty, pretty, please, can you do us a solid here? And if they don't, but what's, what's the fallback? I don't know. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Ireland has failed to qualify for the Eurovision Song Contest final again this year. Um, I suppose bitter, from 2019. I know, bitter and disappointment. 2021. I know. And 2022. Well, that's what I was going to say to you, right? Can we actually talk about this? Is it that disappointing? I mean, can we not just enjoy the participation? Are we now a country that just expects to win when it comes to the Eurovision? And have we just decided now that we'd like... I, 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 people are so annoyed today and I understand the frustration. I feel really sorry for Wild Youth and I thought the song was quite good. But like, can we not just enjoy participating and going to the competition? No. no? Absolutely oh, not. Right, okay. Uh, it was, like, if you look at the stats, it's it's eight out of the last nine Eurovisions that Ireland hasn't gotten through to the final. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty sorry record, isn't it? Like, do you, what, are you, what are you proposing then we give up? No, that we do a different model of how we do it. Okay, okay. Actually, Amy O'Connor, uh, a brilliant follow on all so social media platforms, Amy um, a really, really pertinent tweet today saying, obsessed with the It's Not a Song Contest Anymore Brigade behaving as if we sent out a stone cold classic. Our song debuted at number 93 in the Irish charts chart yeah. and spent one week in the top 100. If we couldn't even pretend to like it, then why would the rest of Europe? I completely agree with you on that. And I think we actually do need to go back to um, a time where the country was invested in the song before mm. it left. I didn't know the Eurovision song until like two days ago. Well, they, like, like it's not, it wasn't widely circulated, like, was it? We have it? this culture and it's the same in Britain and therefore I think we probably think that it's more plausible. We have this culture of sending acts that are not already big commercial successes in I wanted you they're quite successful though, well like, they? but like they're they're not of a a, a, this is going to sound like it's very unkind to them, but like they're not of a, a, a Corona's level of sort of popularity in Ireland. That we, we do this thing where we we send up and coming acts which might use it as a commercial stepping stone, and they're fully entitled to use it mm. because it's a huge shop window for any act like Wild Youth or any other acts that we've sent in previous years. But if you think of like Sam Ryder is maybe the one example of someone who wasn't terribly well known, mm. has mm. a Eurovision hit and is now boom. Such a good off. song. But mm. we ha- we have a habit other than Jedward or Neve Kavanaugh of recent years of sending acts that are trying to go on the commercial upswing and want to, to ride the Eurovision to success and they're fully entitled to. Mm. But if we're not going to send acts that have a, a track record of producing hits and we're sort of we're pairing up acts with songwriters they've never used before. Yeah. What are we expecting to happen? I just think if you're an act though who does have a track record of success, like is Eurovision kind of a poison chalice for your career now? Would you would you want I to say do it? Upset it? Or I don't know. Like I saw someone suggesting um uh, suggesting that we would have someone like Lenny I don't know if you're familiar with Lenny um, she's an artist from Cork who I interviewed when I was in LA a couple of weeks ago and she's really cool she's worked with David Guetta she's a songwriter and like a producer and does her own music as well and someone was suggesting Lenny to write the music um, for next year and stuff but I suppose if I was Lenny I'd have to ask myself you know her own career is doing really really well she doesn't need to do Eurovision and you're kind of Wondering why why would you sign yourself up to it? It is becoming increasingly difficult as an Irish act to break through at Eurovision. There is there's one other aspect to to Ireland's persistent and this is going to sound like it's a rival TV broadcaster bashing RT, and we've 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 done a little bit of that at the GA channel. I like what our friends over RT just the they're, they're all, they're all <laughs> One, one persistent thing and, and I, I watched the semi-final on Tuesday night I chose not to watch Man City versus Real Madrid because it's yeah, like that's kind of huge for you. It's like Alien versus Predator like I'm a Man United fan who I, who do I want to win? Like there's no win Real Madrid, obviously. Real Madrid and Man City what? a little bit but like it's still kind of you know empty it's a very victory Poor girl. So I watched the semi-final and one thing that you, you notice the, the more years you watch Eurovision is that you know there's this cliche that oh it's not a song contest anymore mm. it's a performance contest actually what it is nowadays is a music video contest because what you're really watching is a music video being performed in real time. Yeah. And I don't know if RTE have really twigged onto that yet now, where every other broadcaster, they've realised that you have the choice of camera shots. You can turn it into a visual spectacle for the screen yeah. as much as a visual spectacle for the stage. 
Uh, but we, I think we're still at the point where we're trying to create a spectacle for the stage so that it looks good in the arena. But you're doing it for a TV audience. Yes. Like you're, you're not having Lorene mm-hmm. from Sweden sitting between two big screens where like it creates this really visual spectacle. Legend. Mm-hmm. Or Israel doing their thing on, on stage with the kind of the spiral recursive thing. Great job. Lorene, Lorene who performed Euphoria, yeah. is now is, is a favourite again this year. Oh. So so being a repeat entrant be... doesn't do you any harm. She's so, she's, for her. so should we send Johnny Logan again yeah. then? So I would. Yeah. I'd send Charlie McGettigan. We'd send, let's get a, get a Eurovision Classics uh, Rota. Okay. Yeah. I think but our best performance in recent years, our last 15 years, our best performer was Jedward. Yeah. Uh, and that, again, had a novelty factor, not to like denigrate the lads, but mm. it was a novel, they're a novelty act. Mm. Um, and they came eight. Mm. Well, how many, um, how many of last year's songs, out of interest, how many of last year's songs would you even vaguely remember? Oh, no, not one. Not because one. there was an, the, the title sequence to the semi-final on Tuesday night, there was a, a small bit in the intro where Charles and Camilla were there kind of inspecting the, the setting up of the whole thing. And the, these, this gang walk by in wolf costumes. And if you're not a Eurovision watcher, you're like, what the hell's going on there? If you're a Eurovision watcher, you go, aha, yes, the Norwegian guys from last year who did the whole thing of uh, before this wolf eats my grandma, give that wolf a banana. It's a novelty song, but it's a Eurovision entry from last year that you remember. You remember that, you remember Sam Ryder, and you maybe remember the Ukrainians that actually won the contest mm. last night with mm. their mama Stephanie a bit. You don't remember the, the solid power songs. You remember the novelty ones. Lean into it. Create, okay. create a music, a novelty music video. Send that. Give it a try. But do They're we have that it. though? Does that exist in the talent pool? Do I just have think. It? I just think that we either we kind of fall between two stools of either taking it way too seriously, or you know, hamstring ourselves by putting it as a text in thing on one TV show mm. of a Friday evening, which most people don't watch anymore. Or or, or sending Dustin. Yeah, mm. that's the thing. But again, Dustin, Dustin even popping up like that made no sense to anybody who was outside of Ireland. Like, mm. yeah. I night. suppose it yeah, didn't mean nothing. I do think it goes back to the original point you made, though. I mean, the, the Swedish song, I think, is number one in the charts in Sweden and it's number one on Spotify in Sweden at the moment, apparently. I think getting your own country behind your song before you le- let it leave the country is probably... It's a good start. It's and a good start. I, and I don't know if that's happened for Ireland since... Jedward, like Lipstick by Jedward was maybe the last time. But if I remember, like I said, I talked about this last year on the podcast, Chris Doran like toured around, you know, doing, doing, Mm -hmm. we've got our, what was yeah. the song called? The, no, hang on. Uh, Chris Doran was... Um, Chris Doran, if my world well, stopped turning. Yeah, look that up. No, Do yourself a favour, Shane. Look that up. Like, what a great ballad. country was divided... Not, Mickey not, Joe like, Hart, We've Got the World Tonight. Post-Saipan, the country song. was split into Mickey Joe Hart and Simon Casey. And we, we're, not, we're not so riveted anymore. I know, know, but it was a great time in our lives. We need to go back to that level of investment in the Eurovision. You really thought that, like, we're living on the streets when you come here. I just want to know why it isn't a priority. What do you consider to be a more pressing issue than the death of the entire planet? Not that simple. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I just too many questions to even start. How do you handle a breakup? How do you ask for what you want? In reality, people don't really ask. Technically, this person is homeless. Is more racist than people would like to believe. And that is a clip from the Now You Know Sharp Shorts available on the Virgin Media Player. And fronting that is our very own Maxine Bramley. Hello. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Well, Maxine's here every week on the group chat. You just don't get to see her. So uh, this is your first time sitting in the hot seat. Yeah, it's it's, it's a bit mad because obviously I'm usually on the other side of the camera. But yeah, this is great. You're literally always a full time member of the group chat. But we're so excited (laughs) that you're actually here chatting to us. Um, So I watched all five episodes of the show this morning. I absolutely loved it. Um, Just for people who haven't seen it yet, what's it all about, Maxine? Yeah, so it's called now, you know, as you already said, it's um, part of Virgin Media's new Sharp Short series, which is basically, um, 
it's completely digital, it's completely on the Virgin Media player, but it's short form, you know, it's meant to be kind of snappy, um, bite-sized and digestible. And now, you know, tackles issues or social issues uh, affecting people who are in the Gen Z generation, so um, young young people, and um, just how their thoughts on these social issues and their problems and burning questions. And then it takes it back to experts in the field, researchers and academics who have, um, you know, explanations and solutions as well, you know, the solutions that you can kind of um, put into everyday life. And mm. I think that's kind of the importance of it. Um, and then some of the topics that are talked about are climate change, uh, consent, relationships, uh, homelessness mm. and um, name discrimination and language based discrimination. Mm. So all things that we have to deal with on an everyday basis. Yeah. But you know? it all starts with you sitting people down on a sofa on South King Street, just outside the Stevens Green Shopping Centre and saying, what's in your mind? And taking it yeah, from there. basically, that's it. So there's a couple of people that it's, you know, the Vox Pop kind of uh, format. And there's a couple of people that we spoke to on the street and then some who were brave enough to, you know, take the hot seat as a sofa and fair play to them. And I uh, just heard some absolutely fantastic stories and uh, just getting to see that kind of or hear about the labour experiences that yeah. uh, young people have. I think um, it's something that a lot of people deal with. You know, the, the problems that are uh, portrayed in the shows aren't, you know, isolated. They're, they're things that a lot of people have to mm. have to deal with. What do you think it says about the, the generation? I mean, if people are coming to this and they watch the episodes on the Virgin Media Player, what will they learn about this generation and the particular challenges that they do face? Well, it's kind of different for each uh, topic that we discuss. Yeah. So, for example, the climate change one, um, we kind of wanted to see what people think uh, can be done and if they have a role to play and if they're happy with uh, what government are doing in terms of uh, climate action in Ireland and further afield. And there was kind of, it was a mixed view. There was a lot of, um, sadly, uh, worry and panic as, you know, there would be, but... Um, also optimism. Also, people do realise that, you know, it, they can they can affect change themselves. And I think um, it's Dr. Connor Little, who is the expert on that episode. He kind of reinforces that as well. You know, in his expert opinion, he uh, kind of explains that it is, you know, it is, it is a three-way thing in that it is big companies that uh, need to take action. It is government, but we can also affect change by making our voices heard and maybe lobbying our um, local politicians. I thought the conversation around the name discrimination was really yeah. interesting because I actually don't think we hear that conversation very often at all. So it was quite refreshing to hear that chat. And there was one guy who came and sat on the sofa with you and he was talking about, you know, handing out his CV for a job and saying that actually he could almost tell that when he handed over his CV into one place, the minute they took a look at the name, they were kind of like, mm. oh, we'll never be able to pronounce that. So they sort of, he could almost see them discarding it. Yeah. And that's something that like we probably don't think about. It's just, it's, it's an unconscious sort of decision. And I mean, he actually pointed to something which I thought was really important was this idea of learning your colleagues' names. If you have a colleague that has a name that you're struggling with, ask the person, how do you pronounce your name? This is it. You're always better off just asking and asking again if you're unsure rather than just assuming or not trying and maybe mm. giving someone a nickname because it's too difficult. Mm. Um, and I think the expert that was on about this uh, really made a good point that your name is, you know, such a big part of your identity. Mm. And then if someone is discarding you because of your name or not really giving you a chance, um, you start to internalise that and maybe think that, well, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe, you know, I should be making things easier for everyone else. Where it's, 
it should really be everyone else who's making the effort with you and yeah. It, yeah. It, you know that's what inclusion is all about yeah. it's one of those ones which Irish people like because we, whenever you see sort of Saoirse Ronan on like US talk shows or something like that or Donald Gleeson we all have a laugh and we're like oh my god I can't believe they've le- learned how to pr- they can't pronounce these very easy names yeah. and yet it seems to be a blind spot for us here when it actually comes to other people's names mm. and it's actually something you hear actually come up as well it can be names it can be accents and stuff like that that's the sort of stuff that sort of foot in the door sort of discrimination that people do face so yeah. it's something which does we, we are very easy and quick to spot it when it happens to us but when it's actually you know the shoes on the other foot where it can be a little bit of a blind spot for us I think The other episode on relationships was really interesting as well because actually it was really cool to hear the kind of Gen Z take on relationships and in so many ways we can argue that it's never been easier to meet somebody in terms of you know there's app dating and all this and there's so much accessibility that you're no longer sort of relying on the couple of uh, single people in your village like that it's you know you've never had yeah. more choice sort of but actually <laughs> but it's that decision Gen Z yeah but actually Gen Z were sort of telling you actually the idea of trying to find the right person then and and be in what would be you know considered a monogamous relationship is actually becoming more and more challenging. Yeah, and even the question of whether monogamy even still works in today's mm. day and age, in today's generation, um, I mean, some of them were did say that they do think monogamy is still very much a thing. But yeah, some were like, yeah, no, it's completely dead. So, yeah. And is their answer then, then seeing multiple people at the same time? Or is it just the no, idea that you wouldn't have a long-term relationship with anyone for your whole life? I think the answer is more so... Um, kind of coming to terms with what you want and what you're looking for. Mm. And I think really it's self-discovery and knowing what you want and being able to ask for what you want um, in relationships. And um, I think at the end of the day, it kind of just comes back to yourself and what you project. Mm. Did you feel like there was some kind of overlap between maybe the conversations around relationships and then say, for example, the conversations around housing that actually, you know, traditionally that there was this idea that you would meet one person and that you would, you know, set up home together or whatever but now actually because of the challenges that young people have in terms of access to housing that actually the option to do that isn't really there anymore did you see some kind of overlap in those um I it wasn't really uh we didn't really make that try to make that connection in the episodes to be honest but um I suppose what was interesting about uh the homelessness episode was um just the fact that there's so many different types of ways you can understand homelessness and not having a place of your own. I spoke to one guy who was um, looking for somewhere to live. He'd moved from abroad to study here um, and he was looking for over a year at Mm. this stage and um, he was just couch surfing and I mean like issues of you know how it affects your mental health because it will take a toll on your mental health, how it affects you know even just having a space for yourself, having that privacy, having somewhere to put your things um, Mm. And as the experts said, express yourself. You know, it's so it's such an unstable environment to be in, and um, it's just it's it's just not good mm. for you at all. Mm. We have all at various points in our careers been having to do a lot of vox pops on one story or another. Did you find that people were were comfortable, you know, coming to you and almost kind of admitting vulnerabilities? Maybe the wrong word, but that being like, listen, I, I I want or I need to know more about topic X, and I sort of feel like I'm flying blind. Were they comfortable opening up to you about that? Yeah, actually, you know what they were? And I've obviously had Vox Pocket experience as well. And sometimes you can get people who, you know, they just close off. They're not, especially when there's cameras there. There mm. were two cameras there. and mm. But um, I was actually, I was pleasantly surprised. Like the majority of people were really happy to get that platform and be able to, I suppose, um, say their grievances or, or say what's on their mind or the questions that they had because so the whole premise of it is we're trying to get their experience or get their, uh, how, how they've um, dealt or have to, had to 
deal with the the topic at hand and bring it back to the experts mm-hmm. so that they get something out of it as well. But um, no, it was great. Um, most of them are really, really happy to talk about it and great yeah. to, we're happy to have that kind of yeah. platform. Because because I think there's, I think it just shows, you know, people want to have these conversations as well. They might feel that they don't have a platform currently mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. So I say the openness, which is there and the openness with which people talk to you, I think it's a pretty good sign that they were, you know, that this is something which they feel isn't part of what, you know, is catering for them at the moment. Definitely. I suppose final question. We always like to go a bit behind the scenes on things. Did you love making it? I loved making it. Yeah. It was, it was uh, just, we were in Dublin and we were in Limerick um, for it and, we just got really good reception uh, when we were doing it. And I suppose you kind of learn a lot along the way as well. I've, yeah. I'd never done something like that in terms of the scale of it. Um, but yeah, it was great. And I suppose all the behind the scenes as well, you know, you're kind of like taping up anything that maybe, you know, just trying to mark <laughs> your spot. Over, or, yeah, 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 you're like, oh, maybe hide that. Or, you know, yeah. it all comes together. But um, no, yeah. it's really good. And the team and the Gurm Media, uh, they're fantastic mm. as well. And I suppose yeah. their whole... Um, mission is to uh, unify across differences and I think that really worked well when, on, it totally on came across do more? in the piece oh yeah 100% <laughs> <laughs> there you go this girl is going to be doing Signed a lot more yeah she's going to be doing a whole lot more a whole lot more Maxine thank you so much for coming in and Maxine works on the podcast all the time so you're going to be hearing so much more you're going to be hearing and yeah. seeing so much more of Maxine uh, over the next couple of weeks so thank you and it's uh, available now on the Verge Media Player make sure you check it out we're out of time folks we are that's it did you enjoy this week it was great. Yeah. Got it all Maxine, in there. Maxine's yeah. been listening. Good episode. You're happy this week? Always happy. Always happy. <laughs> Always happy. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back again next week. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe. And as I say, we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. See you later. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.